a learned break or whatever it is. Um, and uh, also aware that we're kind of in the middle of that August season, aren't we? It's an interesting time of people being away and having holidays and resting. I don't know about you, but in that holiday season, it's the time I reflect. Maybe being a teacher, it may be the only time I reflect. But it's certainly a time when I reflect a bit more um, and uh, begin just to listen to the heart of God. Um, so as I uh, go through today, there's a number of reflections, a number of things that God kind of has been speaking to me about, and I'd love to share them with you this morning. Um, by way of uh, introduction, um, I saw a t-shirt, um, and it said this. It says on it, be yourself, be free. Be yourself, be free. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? If you, people, it's, it's quite a nice idea. People want to be free, don't they? A lot of politicians or um, religious people say, do this and you will be free. It's, it's nice that just being yourself... You can be free. Um, and within the community and the, the, the nation that we live in, they have a number of strap lines that people say, maybe not that one, but maybe something similar, that people go, yes, that's a, that's a good idea. I might say that as well. Um, but of course, we know that it's for freedom, freedom that Christ has set us free, don't we? Yeah, it's Christ that has set us free. And actually, we're not free by being ourselves, are we? We're not free at all, because before we know Jesus, we are bound in sin. We are um, slaves to the world. We actually aren't free. Um, and there's that uh, beautiful thing that you hear in the Anglican service um, that I think comes from the, some of the wonderful Reformation uh, preachers, which is, whom to serve is perfect freedom. Remember that? Whom to serve is perfect. Serving Jesus is perfect freedom when you know him. And it's interesting, these things, because people um, say all sorts of things to me when things go well or things go badly. Another phrase that I hear quite a lot it was, what was meant to be was meant to be. Have you heard that? It was just meant to be. And you think, what do you mean by that? It was meant to be. Because I know you have no religious faith. I'd call you an atheist or whatever, but you're now saying there is something that has a kind of destiny element to it, yeah? And they sometimes say that when things dreadfully go wrong. You know, I've found out I've got this terminal diagnosis, but what was meant to be was meant to be. Or I didn't get the job that I was going for, but what was meant to be was meant to be. But I did get the third job I went for, because that was meant to be. I, I just don't understand sometimes what it means and where it comes from. And it's just interesting. It, it's almost a fatalistic, isn't it, observation of fate. Almost said that there is some element of fate going on that we all agree with, don't we? Well, no, I don't. You know, as Christians, we don't believe that. You know, we, we believe very firmly in the Bible. And that we, when we read that, we get the words of life. That we are destined for him in glory. And we know this life is going to have trials of many kinds. But that actually we are created for community. Community with Jesus and created for community with each other. And that's um, some of the greatest things. You know, I don't say to people, uh, man's heart is only evil all the time. That wouldn't be very popular, would it? 
But that is something, biblically, that comes in, that, that, that looking at our heart. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Karl Barth. He is a, uh, a theologian, 20th century theologian, who really looked at a number of things philosophically and talked about the church. Um, and uh, this is one of the things I really like that he said. He said, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it. Many of the things we believe in do contradict the world, don't they? And they contradict it in a way which is full of promise. We are full of promise in the gospel. I say that as a kind of introduction uh, to what I'm saying today, because today our thoughts on a passage, I bless Steve for the wonderful passage, the second half of 3 John. It's a great passage, it's very short, there are a few words in it, um, and there are a few things that get me to reflect um, on one or two things. So I've done that, and I've added in some other things that I've been reflecting on that kind of fit in, and they fit in very much with uh, the passage that Steve brought at the beginning. Was it the passage from Philippians? Becoming the very nature of a servant. So if I'm going to give a title, it would be loving to serve, would be my um, title today. So we're going to start by looking at 3 John, verses 9 to 15. If you've got it in your Bible or on your phone or electronic device, you'll feel free to follow it with me. I'm going to read it in the ESV version. And uh, the Apostle John says this. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, I think that's the way you say the word, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, another man whose name starts with D, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write it in pen and ink. Oh, please, please, John, do write it in pen and ink because I'd love to know what these other things were. But obviously, he decided in his wisdom that it would be better to talk face to face, which says in verse 14, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for summertime. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for being here this morning. We thank you that you have purposes for us this morning. You've got words to speak to each one of us. 
And Lord, we just want to open our hearts and minds to that. Lord, will you speak to us from this passage? Lord, will you speak to us from the great saints of old? Lord, will you speak powerfully into our life? Lord, we want to be changed by hearing your word. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as I've alluded to, this passage is all about two men. First of all, about Diotrephes. I think that's the way you say it, but it could be many different ways. And secondly, it's about Demetrius, the second person who is there. But before I go into those two individuals, those two very contrasting individuals, I want to tell you a story about another man, um, a man called Basil. It may not be somebody you've ever heard of before, and uh, unfortunately, his story I have not got on paper, so I'm having to read it electronically. And Basil is somebody I want to contrast with the people we read about here. Diotrephes and Demetrius. So, Basil, uh, he, at the time of the Iron Curtain, so we're talking 60s, 70s, aren't we? Um, Basil lived in Moldova, which, obviously, with the war in Ukraine, we have more of an idea where that is, don't we? Part of the USSR. And he went all the way to Moscow to see a group of Westerners allowed into Russia as the Iron Curtain was falling. And this is his story told in Philip Yancey's book, Finding God in Unexpected Places. He is quite something. So Philip Yancey was there. There were a group of Christians there who'd got into Russia for the first time, and they're wondering, well, what was Christianity like after all these years of communism? And up turned, up, turned up, that's all. They didn't expect him, but he just turned up. He presented us with sacks of gorgeous purple grapes and golden apples, which he'd hand-picked and carried on his lap all the way from Moldova. He asked for five minutes to address us. When Basil opened his mouth, beware, I'm going to make a loud noise in a minute, and the first sound that came out, I jumped. We were in a meeting in a small room, and Basil spoke at the decibel of a freight train. I have never heard a louder voice from any human being. We soon learned why. In 1962, this was Basil's story, Basil found a small publishing company with his own funds in Moldova. He printed Christian pamphlets and distributed a total of 700,000 before the KGB paid him a visit. This is why I wish it was in paper. They demanded that he stop, and when he refused, they arrested him and sent him to a labour camp. At first, Basil was perplexed. I don't know about you, if you'd been sent to a hard labour camp, probably some of the worst jails you could ever imagine. What would you be thinking? Well, first of all, he thought, why should he be punished for serving God? It's true, isn't it? Why should he be punished? And the second thing he thought, what use could he be in the labour camp. What use? What is God's purpose in doing this? And then one morning, he saw in a flash that God had provided a new opportunity. You see, every morning before the sun rose, the prisoners for the labour camp had to assemble in an open space for roll call. K 
camp commanders insisted that strict for strict punctuality for prisoners, but not from the guards. And so thousands of prisoners stood outside for several minutes each morning with nothing to do. Basil, who loved to preach, started a church. Basil preached daily to a truly captive audience. Typically, he had about two minutes before the guards arrived, rarely as long as five minutes. And as a result, it took up to two weeks to deliver a sermon. I promise my one today won't take two weeks to deliver. Right, typically two two minutes uh, before the guards arrived, rarely as long as five. He had to shout to be heard by several thousand prisoners, a strain that made him hoarse until his voice adapted. Over the years, ten years in all, ten years every day, ten years in all of preaching outdoors to thousands, he developed the habit of speaking at top volume and breakneck speed. A habit he could never break. Basil completed his sentence in 1972 and devoted his energies to building an unregistered church in his village. And sometimes he villaged the church among the convicts. And he proudly reported, even that day, a community of 100 believers still worships in that prison. What an amazing story, isn't it? Doesn't it get you to reflect And the first reflection I have is that moment when he finds he's going to hard labour camp and he's got to decide in his mind, is he going to sit there saying, why me? Or is he going to say, what is the opportunity that I have? What a godly man. And then finding those two minutes for 10 years. I could work out the number of times he preached. You could, couldn't you, as you did that? Absolutely amazing. Somebody who is transformed by their love of Jesus and somebody who served God despite terrible living conditions. Someone who seeks the will of God to serve but wasn't serving himself, was he? Because he affected his vocal cords. He was physically changed by it. Okay, let's just reflect back on the text for a minute. So in verse 9... We read about this man called Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. What a phrase. Very cutting, isn't it, about this man, who likes to put himself first. Somebody who is interested in themselves. They prioritise themselves. They are the definition of selfish. Maybe they even think themselves slightly superior to other people. In fact, there's even a hint in this passage here that even though there's an element that it sounds like he's a church leader, there's a doubt here about his salvation because he so much puts himself first. George Findlay, a commentator on this passage, said he was greedy for place and power. How ungodly. Greedy for place and power interesting person to reflect on. John Stott reflects in this way, a great Bible teacher. He says, personal vanity still lies at the root of most dissensions in every local church today. 
Interesting, isn't it? It still lies. That was John Stott's understanding and the many churches he preached in and ministered to. Still lies understanding of most dissensions in every local church today. Mark 10, verse 42 to 45 says this, And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But who would ever want to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. And gave his life as a ransom for many. We are those who have all sorts of odd attitudes and thoughts and things like that. But we, are, we know as Christians that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus, don't we? We know that because he served us dying on the cross, we then have that heart to serve him. Because we've said yes to him, that repentance, that turning away, means that we are trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to serve because he served us and gave his life as a ransom many okay so we're talking about diotrophies and the fact that he what was that just let me get the phrase who likes to put himself first and in verse 10 it comes out in three ways first of all uh, we're just going to read verse 10 so if I come I will bring up what he's doing the first thing they said that he was doing was talking wicked nonsense against us. Talking wicked nonsense. So that's an element of gossip, isn't there? Gossip against John, the great apostle John. Everybody would want to meet John. As Steve said, Jesus' best friend, his closest disciple. Everybody would want to meet him, wouldn't they? But he was saying nonsense about him. Wicked nonsense strange isn't it some people just do that some, sometimes in our hearts we want to do that don't we because sometimes we feel low and we think the way of feeling a little bit better is to push somebody else down just occasionally maybe that's just me number two he refuses to welcome the brothers the apostles didn't want John in the church why not what was he trying to cover up? Why wouldn't you want John in your church? Why wouldn't you want him preaching? You could ask everybody from the local area to come because we've got John preaching. You could do so many things. He would touch your heart in a way maybe nobody else on earth at the time would. But John was not welcome. He refused to welcome the brothers. And number three stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. I mean, just unbelievably manipulative. The worst type of leadership, isn't it? A really stark example just in those few words. So I've actually talked about three people, and I hope I'm not um, doing that in terms of confusion, but just in terms of thoughts. We've got diatrophies, We've got 
Basil. Oh, and then I've got two so far. Sorry, we're, we're about to get to the third. I'm going to give you another example now, and then we're going to have a little look at Demetrius. The next example, I wanted to choose somebody um, whose Christian leadership maybe hadn't lived up to where it should do. But I'm very aware, having just read the last passage, you've got to be very careful talking about godly men or godly women if they've fallen, haven't you? Because actually, God put them there and may have used them for a time. And I've really battled over this because I think giving a modern-day-ish example is really helpful. But also, I want to really honour those who maybe have had quite an impactful ministry but then fallen away. So I want to be really careful what I say. So I've chosen somebody that definitely some of you here will have heard about, but I've tried to anonymise it. Maybe it made it less powerful, but I think it's important just to respect those. So there was a tele-evangelist in the 70s and 80s in the United States. I'm making it generic. He hosted, hosted a worship club on TV at the time. In the 70s and 80s, of course, TV would be something. You didn't have millions of channels, many, many fewer. So was really quite a personality. He was very charismatic. He was really quite a preacher. And of course, having that tele-evangelist element, he actually became relatively wealthy through genuine Christians giving. He obviously must have blessed a number of people. But he is notorious for trying to build Christian tourist attractions and hotels. And for these, he offered expensive memberships of a club so you could have free holidays. But it ended up being a fraudulent type of scheme. One or two are nodding. I obviously haven't done it quite, anonymized it quite well enough. Anyway, I will keep going. So basically, he used, uh, had a scheme where you paid your money, you gave your money, and you got nothing out of it. You didn't get the promises that you should have done. In the 1980s, he was also accused of sexual assault by one of his employees. And he went to prison for fraud. Now, it's impacting. It's a kind of sober message, isn't it, hearing about somebody like that? That somebody who... I, th I think probably had a huge impact. You know, it wouldn't have been something that I would have seen. And interestingly, I first knew about it by somebody that I met who had worked within his organisation. And she was very bitter, I've got to be honest. Because, of course, she had invested in him and his ministry. She'd been part of his team. She'd, maybe somebody had given a lot to him. But she said about him he never repented he never said sorry he was never humble other people have done all sorts of things wrong and they've repented but he never did and she still went on to do amazing things for god but she always resented what happened and it's interesting the effect of that isn't it the effect of that one person's sin or greed and it's interesting reflecting back on Diotrephes and the effect that he would have had on the people that he was leading in the way that he worked by wanting to be first. I hope I've done that gently enough and anonymously enough uh, to respect um, 
Interestingly, when we get to verse 11, there's an encouragement there. It says, beloved. That's us. Yeah, people of God. Beloved. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. We want to be those who imitate good, don't we? Yeah? We read the Bible, hear what it says, and do it, rather than imitate ideas that are in the world that may not be of God. Right, I'm going to move on to the fourth person. It is four now. Got my numbers right. It is four now. So that's Demetrius, who's part of this passage. And he comes up in verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So who was Demetrius? Well, there are other people in the New Testament called Demetrius. There's a silversmith in Acts 19.23. And there are other people who are mentioned who could be the same person. But actually, it was quite a common name. So it could be another person who's mentioned elsewhere. It may not be. What is very likely is he was the carrier of the letter. He had three John physically in his hand and gave it over to the church, gave it over to the leader, Gaius. And it's interesting just reflecting on the what little we know of his character. Everyone gives him a good report. But lots of people knew him and they gave him a good report. He had a strong reputation makes us reflect on us what would people say about us maybe that's not too helpful but anyway um number two and from the truth itself so he had a genuineness to his christianity he was through and through the same doesn't matter where you cut him who you talked about how you looked at him he was genuine and true in what he did And the Apostle John, the great Apostle John, recommended him as well with his friends. What a recommendation. I think he was loving and caring. He was someone who prayed and he gave and he served. And I think he was somebody that if we had in the midst, we'd we'd all know them, wouldn't we? We'd all know them for their strong reputation and their character. We'd know them for their strong reputation in their family. Okay, so we now have four people to reflect on. And uh, I wondered how we would do this. And I was drawn to a particular way of doing it that I've not done before. So you'll come with me on this. One, one part, two people will, brilliant, three, thank you. Okay, so we just, I just think it'd be good just to do a bit of a meditation on a verse, just to reflect on our lives, because there's a lot being said about character, isn't there? A lot being said about character, a lot of good and a lot of not so good, and it's good to reflect on our character. I truly believe that by reflecting on our character, we will be more productive for Jesus. And that's what we want over the next year. Get a real sense of momentum with us at the moment, don't you? Yeah? Amen? A real sense of momentum in what God's doing. But actually, we want our character to be right before him. 
so that as things move forward, as we have difficult decisions to make, as we, as we maybe disagree with one another, but we want to do that in love. We want God to work on our character. And I want to use the people to do that. I want you to have an opportunity to consider that. I think that this meditation is equally appropriate for men and women. I know I've mentioned four men today. but I think it's equally appropriate, young or old, or whatever background that you come from. I think it's really important that I say, I say that to start off with. So, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Well-known verse, and one that you will love in at least one element. Let no one despise you for your youth. I have no problem in anybody despising me if they call me young. And I'm sure many of us think that. You call me young, you can say what you like. Anyway, let no one despise me for my... I know, this was talked to Timothy, wasn't it? Anyway, okay. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And you think about those elements in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. They've all come up in the characters that we've talked about, haven't they? They've all come up in different ways, often in a positive and in a negative way. So we'd like to start off with example in speech that talks about gossip, doesn't it? Talks about challenge and negativity, about us being positive about the kingdom of God. And sometimes that talks about speaking when we should speak and not speaking when we shouldn't. Conduct. Would others give us a good report? If not, why wouldn't they give us a good report? What can we work on in our own hearts in terms of our conduct, whether that's in our family or with our family, um, which we always know are, are great joys. We love our family, but we often have the greatest challenges there as well, our conduct. Our conduct in our place of work. Our conduct in the church. It then says love. Loving with a sacrificial love. Preferring others to ourselves. Faith. Do we pray first and worry later? Real sense for me that there's elements of faith this year for myself, for us, but for us as well as a church. We want to be a people of faith, don't we? We want to build faith. We don't want to just talk about it. We actually want to do it. Are we faith-filled or faith-filled? Purity. Are there things we do or that we don't do that are not right in the eyes of God? Do we need to just simply repent and just say, look, Lord, I know I've got that wrong. I know I've got it wrong again. How can we honour God more in life and godliness? Okay. So in a minute, I'm just going to ask you to stand if you can. And then I'm just going to read that again. And then just give time for God to minister to each one of us. And we know we all need his touch, don't we? But just his challenge from that verse. And... Uh, I don't know, we'll just see how it goes from there. Okay? Lovely, if you'd like to stand. Maybe you want to put your hands out if you want to receive, if that's the way you're comfortable. If not, don't, don't worry about it. Let no one despise you for your youth.
but set the believers an example in speech.